you're right. I'm not even worried about this big bomb. And judge that. Well, judge that, baby. Judge that. Call our man. What? I deserve to be back now for power number one because I am. It's just like that. It's gotta be with me, you know. You know I've been drama excitement. I mean, shit bought him. Cause he's blind, I can't see. I will let you talk, I did the talking tonight. Which one of y'all kicking me? This is number one bullshit. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious. What's up, family? I want to welcome you to another episode of the Impetuous Impregnable Fight Cast. Um, good stuff to cover this week. I want to apologize for not getting one up last week. Was having some crazy audio issues, but uh, fix that now. You know, that's life. It's always something. What can you do? Adapt and overcome. So back this week with an entertaining episode for you. I hope you enjoy it. Um, these are going to be up on iTunes from now on, as well as SoundCloud. And I'll be putting these up on YouTube as well. So thanks for the continued support. So again, sorry this one is a little late. But um, so what we missed last week? Well, one, I want to talk some UFC the GSP, the Michael Bisping, the Romero, that whole saga. I want to go deep into the, the crux of this uh, episode is going to be the dynamic between a trainer and fighter. The dynamic between a trainer and fighter. I think it's for some really intricate stuff to get into. So that'll be the meat of this podcast. And uh, if we have time, we'll go deeper down the rabbit hole. So let's get into it. So if you're not up on what's happening in the UFC news, basically... Uh, GSP was taking way too long to decide the exact date that he wants to fight. So Dana White said, okay, fuck that, you out. You out of the Bisping fight. You taking way too long with the Bisping fight. You holding up dates, arenas, you messing up the money, you holding up the middleweight division, and now your title shot is gone. And we gonna give it to the rightful number one contender, a gentleman by the name of Yoel, soldier of God Romero. Basically the black Scott Steiner. If you don't watch wrestling, or you didn't watch wrestling back in the day, Google Scott Steiner or Big Papa Pump. And you'll see why I call Yoel Romero the Black Scott Steiner. He's 39 years old, looks like fucking Wolverine or Black Captain America. He's a physical specimen. Or Olympic gold medalist from Cuba. Um, believe is in freestyle wrestling. He's the most decorated wrestler ever to enter the UFC. He's fast, explosive, scary, intimidating, strong as fuck. Everything you don't want your opponent to be. That's what Yoel Romero is. So Michael Bisping goes from fighting potentially GSP, who he was bigger than, stronger than, has more, he's been more active than recently over the past years, can make a whole lot more money with. Bisping goes from potentially fighting GSP to now having to fight Romero. And Bisping goes, um, you know what? I think my knee is hurt until GSP is ready to fight. He pretty much just said that. Fuck what y'all talking about. I think my knee is hurt until until GSP is ready to fight. And everyone's giving Bisping shit about that. People think he's kind of taking the coward's way out. So let's break this down. So one thing you always want to do when you disagree with what someone is saying or doing, the first thing you want to do is say to yourself, what would I do in that position? Like always, it seems like a, a minuscule thing, but you always have to put yourself in somebody else's position. Put yourself in their shoes. That's the first thing you have to do. We're all dealing with egos and biases and preconceived notions about a lot of shit. So it's good a lot of times to step back, disengage your emotional attachments or lack thereof, and put yourself in Michael Bisping's shoes. This fucker has been fighting forever. And I mean forever. He was on the Ultimate Fighter Season 2. Season fucking two. They up to like season infinity now. 
It's been so many seasons of Ultimate Fighter. I can't keep up with none of this shit. Who's who's on the show right now? Do you know? Is it still uh, Rampage and Rashad Evans? I don't fucking know. I just know that Bisping was there and he won season two. I done switched jobs, moved across the state. I started meditating. Point is, I done done a lot of shit since season two. And all that time, Michael Bisping has been an active fighter. He's for everybody. And I mean everybody with a capital fucking everybody. He's fought uh, Ross Poynton, Matt Hamill, Eric Schaefer, Charles McCarthy, Rashad Evans, Jason Day, Chris Lieben, Dan Henderson twice. The last one was an all-time war. Dennis Kang. Do y'all remember Dennis Kang? He was a beast. He was in pride knocking people the fuck out. Dennis Kang, K-A-N-G. Google him if you're not familiar. He was that deal. Bisping's for Vondelay Silva, Wondelay, Dan Miller, ok- Okayama, Mayhem Miller, Bully B Down, shout out, uh, Chael Son, and a Juice Up, Vitor Belfort, Alan Belcher, Tim Kennedy, Kung Lee, Luke Rockhold twice, Tyler's Latest, Anderson Silva. That's just in the UFC. I left out the fights before the UFC, except for uh, Ross Pointer. So I say that to say that at some point you gotta look at a fight and say, have you paid your dues? Like the great, legendary Jack Burton in Big Trouble in Little China. You remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues? Shout out to myself for giving you that Big Trouble in Little China reference. You're welcome. Michael Bisping has paid his dues in the sport where you have to pay a lot of dues or earn a lot of money for the sport before you get to call some shots. Michael Bisping has fought any and everybody, always coming up just a little short when it really counted, except for the Rocco fight. So Bisping makes... Bisping makes good money based off all the times he's fought, but I believe that as a champion, you get a cut of the pay-per-views. I think that's correct, but I could be wrong. But I'm pretty sure I've heard them say that if you're a champ, you get a cut of the pay-per-view buy. So the more pay-per-views, the more money you get. So you need a popular chef to make that pie edible to the consumer. That's me and you. You need some Gordon Ramsay type cook to make this thing right for everybody. So Bisping is saying that cook, that chef that I need, it's fucking George St. Pierre. Bisping is saying, those days of fighting any and everybody, they, that's kind of over. I'm up in age. I don't afford everybody. It's time to get paid. Like the man said in The Rock with Sean Connery and Nicolas Cage. I want my fucking money. And we all want our money. We all want our money. So for some reason, as fans, we have a problem with a person in their profession making the smartest business decision for them. I have no problem with him saying I'm in a fucking wheelchair as long as this big Cuban fucker Yoel Romero is on the prowl for me. But I'll catch the Holy Ghost and get up out this wheelchair as soon as GSP is ready to go. Because I've paid my dues and now... I want my fucking money! Tyron Woodley tried to do the same thing. The current uh, UFC welterweight champion. He won the title and said, I want GSP. I want Nick Diaz. I want Conor McGregor. And the fans said, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold up, dude. Woodley said, I want a big money fight right now. And the fans started booing him. And Woodley, Woodley saying it was kind of racist and, and that kind of shit. But that wasn't the deal. Just the fans understood that Woodley, like to our eyes, he hasn't paid the dues. You can't just get the belt and start demanding big money retirement fights. It just kind of don't feel like the dues have been paid. And I'm sure if you was to ask Woodley, he would say, fuck you, I've already paid my dues. But if you can pay his resume to Bisping's, Bisping has got tenure in this shit. Regardless of what you think about him, the dude has seniority in the UFC. I have zero problem with Bisping saying, fuck that. I want GSP and only GSP. 
I done fought long enough. I want to make a big, big payday and ride off into the sunset. I want a payday that only GSP or McGregor or somebody like that can provide. Because not a lot of people who can provide a huge payday. Conor McGregor's one, but he's not a middleweight. So GSP can fight middleweight. So Bisping saying, I want GSP to provide that type of business for me. And fans want me to be the warrior and all that other shit. The fans aren't the ones got to step in there with that big black Scott Steiner. So from Bisping's perspective, we can at least look at it from his point of view. And I respect it. The damn man has paid his dues. And I will hope that at your chosen profession, I will hope that after you work long enough to be in a position where you call the shots, that you too would take advantage of a lucrative opportunity if it presented itself. And I will hope that no one would hold it against you for doing the right financial move for yourself. So shout outs to shout outs and salutes to Michael Bisping, to the black Captain Jack, Captain America, Yoel Romero, and to the legend GSP for just being GSP. And uh, he'll eventually be back in the trenches, back in that octagon, putting people in their asses. So there's that. So, I promised last week I would get into some hypothetical matches in the coming weeks. And I shall do that. Uh, matches that will never be seen, but we can wonder and dream and opine about the outcomes of these fantasy matchups. So I want to hold off just a little longer on the actual fight. Um, the first fight I wanted to get into was Ali and Tyson. Because that's the probably the most what-if talked about matches in the history of combat sports. Muhammad Ali versus a prime Mike Tyson. Who would win? Who? How would it play out? Tyson's power and ferocity and just viciousness and impetuous impregnability. Shout out my own podcast. Versus Ali's finesse and ring command and boxing IQ. Who would prevail? A lot of questions that need to be answered to come to a decision. But I want to take a step back from that for a second and talk about trainers and coaches. Because without a certain kind of trainer... I'm going to repeat that. Without a certain type of trainer, you don't get an Ali. I want to talk about the great Angelo Dundee for a second. And he praised down upon him for not getting in the way of the greatness of Muhammad Ali. That is a huge and underrated thing in annals of history. Not getting in the way of greatness. Angelo Dundee did not get in the way of greatness. If you're not familiar, Angelo Dundee was... uh, Cassius Clay slash Muhammad Ali's longtime trainer. Dundee was also the trainer of all-time great Sugar Ray Leonard. And he didn't get in his way either, which allowed a path, a trail, a journey to be embarked upon. This is big for all current coaches and trainers or aspiring coaches, people aspiring to go down that line, that we, as coaches and trainers, don't get in the way of greatness. Being a trainer with a bunch of high-level fighters is probably... A highly intense, stressful job because you're not you're not just a coach or a trainer. You're a psychologist. Or you got to be a philosopher, a manager, among other things. You got to manage a bunch of different personalities and mind frames and mindsets and have game plans and training approaches that cater specifically to each individual. To each individual because all these motherfuckers are different. I think it's one of the most essential tools in being a coach. And I look at it like I'm here to help and guide the fighter. I'm helping you get to where you're trying to go. And only you know where you really, really want to go. And only you know really the tools that are your best tools to get there. For instance, if I have a student, that student comes to me, say, from Taekwondo, and he starts doing Muay Thai. And his Muay Thai is at the beginning stage, but his Taekwondo is at an elite level. I'm not going to tell him to stop doing his pretty kicks. I'm going to say, you have certain strengths that translate to Muay Thai. Now, most of the Taekwondo shit, you can't use. It's not going to work. The stance, the punches from the waist, all that shit we're going to have to scrap. 
to adapt to the strikes that's coming at you. But the spinning head kicks and shit that you throw, if you can set that up with teeps or classical Muay Thai strikes, then why not have that tool in your toolkit? It's a plus. It's a different tool in the toolkit. And I want you to have as many tools to get the job done as you can. So as a coach, it's my job to build on my student's strengths. Not turn my student into me. I don't want my student to be me or necessarily fight like me. If I need to see somebody fight like me so bad or exactly the way I would, if I need to see that so bad, guess what? I need to get my black ass up and get in the fucking ring or cage or whatever. Okay? As a coach, I'm bringing the best out of my students. I wanted my students' strengths to be at the forefront, not mine, if that makes sense. I think that's so critically important that coaches and trainers help develop their students into the best versions of themselves, not the best versions of the coach. And luckily, I've been blessed to always be around coaches who adopt this same mentality. So I say that to say that, can you imagine Angelo Dundee seeing a young Cassius Clay for the first time? This kid bouncing around like he's in the goddamn Soul Train line. No one in the history of combat sports, particularly boxing, has been taught to fight like Muhammad Ali. It doesn't happen. Ali was just being Ali. He was just being great. He was a young, brash, handsome guy who was OG, don't give a fuck. It's who he was, and that's what people love. I've always said before that humans have an extra sense. I don't see why people don't... Like, doctors don't acknowledge this shit or sign. We, we, that's not just the regular five senses. We got another sense. We know. Humans know. We know when people are full of shit. Humans know. We know when people really believe what they're saying and we respect them for saying it. It's the extra sense. So even though Ali was brash and the original trash talk, it was likable. Even back then, because people was feeling it and they always have. That's one of those things that just transcends the years and generations. No matter what year, if somebody's talking some shit and they believe it, people like them. Ali said way back when, even if you're not the best, you just keep saying the best. You keep saying you're the best until you really are the best. That's so, so important. And just the way he gave it off, the delivery made it seem like it should be a fictional story. But the in-ring work he did was nothing short of non-fiction. It's so attractive and magnetic to everyone that goes on. And it goes into this very day with McGregor, Mayweather, all the best shit talkers. The shit talkers that really believe what they say. And we can tell it's real because they get huge audiences because of it. The audience come out to see them succeed or fail. People want to see it. Ali was the original and he wasn't stunted by Angelo Dundee. Angelo Dundee recognized what Ali was. It takes not just a good coach, but a great coach to recognize greatness and let it be, to let it bloom and blossom. Can you imagine someone asking you to train with them? Imagine somebody asking you to train them, and they bounce all around with their goddamn hands down, weaving punches, just barely missing, being knocked out all the time. And you say to that person, you need to keep your hands up. And that person saying back to you, I'm the greatest of all time. I got this. That's Ali saying to trainers, I'm not putting my hands up. I'm not fighting where everybody else fight because I am the greatest of all time. And Angelo Dundee has to have a vision because just looking, you don't look, see the greatest of all time when you look at Ali. But the vision of Dundee to go, well, maybe you can be the greatest of all time. I'm going to let you do this. What a remarkable thing. Dundee does not get enough credit. For letting him, especially somebody like me who's in the kind of in that field and knows what it takes or is around fighters and knows how a coach can influence fighters. So for him to pull back and go, all right, I'm going to let you be, I'm going to take the reins off and I'm going to let you do your thing. And now we got arguably 
the greatest fighter in the history of boxing or even combat sports. Who knows? Definitely the most famous. At least the most written about person, I think, in, in history. If not, I know he's in the top three. Again, coaches stepping back, allowing their students slash fighters to be great. Coach, a coach who can do that, guess what? That's a coach that has set his own ego to the side. Some coaches and trainers don't just want to win. They want to be the reason that the fighter wins. They want to be the reason. That's bullshit. On the highest level, do this. Do this. Do this. Fuck that. How do you like to fight? How do you need to be trained? Um, pull back the curtain for a little bit. I had a situation once where we do these big training sessions. All these fighters come out in the mornings and we get some work done to start today. Really good sessions. Good work to start today. Nice training sessions. And we're having this big session and I'm yelling and screaming at all the guys. Rah, rah, motivating. You know, the way guys need to be motivated sometimes. But we also had female fighters there. The more I yelled at this one particular female fighter, it seemed like the less... Like it wasn't, it just wasn't working. Like it wasn't, I wasn't getting a response like I was getting from the guy. So I asked, I was like, uh, so what's going on? Everything okay? And her response was, coach, I don't respond well when people yell at me like that. Now that can go one of two ways. I can say, or probably more fitting, my ego can say, well, that's just the way I coach. If you don't like it, you can kick rocks. The fight is going to be hard, so this needs to be hard. Or maybe I just won't motivate you. Maybe I motivate the guys who need to be screamed at when they, when they win it, et cetera, et cetera. Or I can say, okay, that's good to know. I can coach you accordingly. I can motivate you less aggressively or in a different kind of way. Whatever it takes to get you in peak shape for peak performance. The car doesn't matter as long as we fucking get there. We don't have to drive my car to get you to the destination that you need to be at on fight night. Whatever you need me to do for you, I'm, I, that's what I'm here to do. That's what I'm here to do. Again, it's about man managing different personalities. Not me being a coach that can't adapt to what my fighters need. That's what I need because it's not about me. What do my fighters need? I'm here for them, not vice versa. You have to know your fighters. I always make it a point on fight day to tell the fighters, be selfish. Especially if you're mild man and don't want to bother people because that's the way I am. Like I hate to just bother people. I like to be left alone. I like to leave people alone. That's that's the personality that I have. But I know my fighters. So I have to... I can't... Because I'm that way, I can't have them be that way. So on fight day, I say, whatever you need today is your day. Be selfish. If you need pad work early, let me know. If you need me to tell people to leave you the fuck alone in your corner while you sit and think or sleep. Or if you need to vent or, or, or talk about whatever you're feeling right now. Anything. Today is your day. Be selfish. Have to know your people. I say that to say, the same approach to the actual preparation for a fight, I take to the actual fighting techniques to the individual specific fighter. Oh, you like to fight like that. Well, here's what I suggest if you're going to do that. I think you should keep your hands up. But if you insist on dropping your hands, then, you know, for instance, let's get a little bit geeky here. When you jab, you bring in your left hand back low and your opponent is going to see that and follow you back home. Follow you home is a boxing term we use, which basically means that after you punch and your hand is coming back low, then you're going to get counted. And they're going to follow you home, meaning punching you in the face while your hand is coming back low. They follow you home. So you have to, so you have a lot of people that jab that way and they bring their hands back low. So if I'm coaching that fighter, my first advice is bring your hands back high because it just makes life easier. It's like having a steady girlfriend or health insurance. Bringing your hands back high just makes life easier for everybody. But in the event that you jab and you bring it back low and you constantly do that, I suggest you start coming back with the check hook after you jab. Because when you jab, your opponent is going to see that 
they gonna that your opponent's gonna see that you bring it back low and they're gonna throw something back at you they're gonna try to counter punch you pretty much so it would behoove the person throwing the low jab to throw a hook after that jab countering the person that just countered them did i get too geeky for you counter the counter again it just makes life easier counter the counter so that's a practical example of the way i would approach a fighter who insisted on fighting a certain way again i have zero ego as it pertains to how a fighter wins none of the coaches that i'm around carry themselves that way so that's always a plus. The fighter can always be free when going in there and the fighter has to be free mentally anytime they're in that ring or cage. Just have to be. I believe that I believe that a fighter in that ring or cage or mat has to be the truest and freest expression of themselves that they possibly can be. It's vital. The ring and cage, like dead men, tell no tales. No fighter that I coach can get in a ring or cage and pretend to be me. Or pretend to be fucking Anderson Silva or Yachtson Clive. You have to be you. Pretending makes you tired. You can't pretend to be someone you're not. You can't pretend you trained hard when you didn't. You can't pretend you gave maximum effort in training camp when you didn't. Humans know how to lie. We've been doing it a long time and it's kind of easy to us at this point. And some people have gotten really, really good at it. Whether it's lying to others or more importantly, lying to ourselves. The ringing case do not lie. They don't know how to lie. It's truth. You turn on the TV, all the politicians is bullshit. You turn on the news, it's bullshit. You watch your favorite TV show, it's fictional bullshit. The ring and cage are housing the truth. It doesn't lie. You can't lie to it. Can't forget the mats either. Ring, cage, and mats. Angels of the highest order. So salute Angelo Dundee, one of the greatest trainers of all time who did not let his ego get in the way of one of the greatest fighters of all time. Ironically, you don't hear about Angelo Dundee being the greatest fighter of all time. Freddie Roach, amazing trainer, multiple time trainer of the year, was pretty much a shitty fighter, respectfully. How was he able to be such a good trainer when he was just average to below average fighter? Well, certain people have certain gifts or traits that lend themselves to coaching, over fighting, or fighting over coaching. That old adage, you don't have to be a criminal to report on crime, that's true a lot of times. Just because you never fought at a high level doesn't mean you don't have the skills to be a great trainer or coach. In fact, that's the case most times in most sports. Uh, Greg Popovich in the NBA. Greg Popovich in the NBA these days is considered the best coach in NBA history because he's won five rings with not all-time great teams like Phil Jackson's Bulls and Lakers teams or Red Auerbach Celtics teams. He's had one all-time, all-time great player in Tim Duncan. Then a bunch of really good players. And for him to be consistently in the hunt for the championship year after year after fucking year, it's, he's, he's got a great case to be the best NBA coach of all time. But off the top of your head, can you name one stat of Greg Popovich from high school or college or NBA? If you can name just one, you are one informed fucker. I'm not even sure he played in the NBA. Do you know? I damn sure don't know. I know he's a great coach though. Never played at a high level. Great coach. Bill Belichick, Patriots. Did Belichick even play fucking ping pong as a youth? He's the most unathletic looking person I've ever seen. Possibly the greatest coach in sport in team sports history. People have different skills that translate. Some people have the mind to be great coaches, but their bodies weren't athletic enough for them to be great. That happens all the time. Some coaches had great physical attributes, but then had a work ethic as fighters that would lend or that would lead to them being great. And because they didn't have it, they can look. And they'll tell when a guy or girl is not giving it their all. And it's easy to say, hey, I've been there before. I know you don't want to train hard today, but as your coach who's been in that position, I'm telling you, you need to bang out this strength and conditioning today. 
I'll even do it with you. That type shit. Those are the best coaches. Some people had the minds for it, not the body. Some people had the bodies for it, not the minds. That, you know, just works that way. Some people loved it but never fought before, like Max Kellerman. The Max Kellermans of the world. His passion and love and encyclopedia type mind for the sport of boxing more than makes up for the fact that he's never even had an amateur fight. And I think Kellerman would make a great, 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 great coach. Certain fighters have to, you know, certain fighters have to have had a former fighter as a coach. They have to look in their coach's eyes and know you've been down this road that I'm about to go there and I trust that you can help take me there. Certain fighters are like that. That's more of an old school approach though now nowadays I think because we're living in an information age and you can learn so much about any and everything. So if you put the time in and study, you can become well informed about so many things including combat sports. So today is more of a thinking coach's game. What are you thinking? I just don't want some brute go kill everybody in my corner. I need some tactical advice. What are you seeing that can help me out in this situation? Another hard thing to do as a coach is to impart wisdom on someone that has different physical traits than you have. You're watching a guy fight and you're like, why isn't he throwing that particular punch or kick? It's wide open. But like the good book says, and I'm going to get religious for about one minute. I don't read the Bible though, but I was raised in the church. And I, and I can recall certain passages where Jesus would say something. Jesus, God, whoever was making me get up at 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning for no damn good reason. Uh, I would read a passage and, it, and it'd be some, you know, some nice helpful life advice. But at the end of it, it would go, those who have an ear, let them hear. Or those that have eyes, let them see. So as a child, I was always like, what the fuck does that mean? Don't everybody got eyes? But as you get older, my interpretation of that is, of course everyone has ears. But it takes a special kind of ear to hear what the fuck I'm saying right now. Bernard Hawkins was fighting a winky right. And in the pre-fight press conference, they asked him what his game plan was. And he said, and I quote, I'm going to hide in plain sight. I'm going to be right there. But I won't be there. People that don't know about boxing got no clue what I just said. Unquote. I hear that from Bernard Hawkins and I think to myself, I have the ear to hear what the fuck he just said. So as a coach, you may or may not have the ear or eyes to see certain things, so it's hard to pass that on. For instance, I'm a defensive, cautious fighter by nature. I wait for my openness. But I've coached plenty of fighters that ball up, bite down on their mouthpiece and go forward, seek and destroy. So what do I do in that situation like that? Well, I offer my advice in that different kind of storm. Okay, you going forward all the time? Do that. I wouldn't do that, but you doing that? Okay. Come in at different angles sometimes then. You like you love to go forward? Perfect. Go forward. Don't come in a straight line all the time. Go at different angles. Come in. Use more feints to disguise your attack. Bring out their counter so you know what they're doing. Keep those feints going. So keep the pressure like you'd like to go forward, but feint more so we can kind of draw out their reaction. So I can use my years of fight experience and I can offer that to my fighter's current situation even though it's got shit to do with the way I would fight. That's the way the wind blows sometimes. I'm here for the fighter. I can't make everybody fight like me or the way I like to fight. I grew up boxing. It's a good thing when you're moving around and not getting hit in boxing. All my amateur boxing matches were me using range to outpoint people. Had a couple knockouts, but for the most point, it was out range, using my long arms to outpoint people. But that doesn't look good in Muay Thai when this monster is walking you down, throwing everything at you, but his mama's pots and pans. And even though you're not getting hit with nothing big, it just looks bad because you're moving so much, i.e. running. But I'm like, but this is this was really effective in boxing. So I had to translate what I learned from boxing and add it to my coaching in Muay Thai, MMA, etc. Everything has a place. There's room for everything. You can incorporate lots of different shit into lots of different shit. And the main thing to incorporate 
in coaching is your love for the sport and your love for your students. It has to be genuine. You have to love it or else you're cheating yourself and the people that trust you to look out for them. These people are entrusting you with their physical fucking well-being. These people got families and kids. They entrust in you with their physical well-being, so it's not something to be taken lightly. How did I become a coach? Well, I honestly said one day, I'm going to be coaching fighters. It's, it's really just that simple. You make a decision, you keep it in the front of your heart, and the universe sees somebody who knows what the fuck they want, and shit just start happening in your favor. It happens in your favor all the time. It's really that simple. I worked on it when nobody was around but me and my brothers. I'd be in a basement holding mitts, shadow boxing, pretending somebody was punching the mitts. So I guess shadow mitt catching is a better way to put it. And I think to myself, I love to have a stable of fighters. Even to this day, I think I love to have like a big stable of fighters, like train 10 or 15 fighters and I would have to manage all the personalities and shit. That seems hard. So of course, it's something I gravitate towards. Anything that's hard is something I'm like kind of drawn to. So at that time, I pretty much stopped training. I was some years removed from amateur boxing. The gyms in my area had closed down. I didn't have a car. I was working full-time job. I was working a full-time job that kind of got in the way of any training I was. I thought about doing. I did what I could when I can do it. I didn't know when the opportunity would appear, but I knew when it did, I'd be prepared for it. So I would take my mitts and pretend I was holding for somebody. I grab my little brother, make him do 200 push-ups and 200 sit-ups, even though he could probably only do 50 before he was ready to quit. But I needed somebody to push to that extra gear. So I was honing the craft, even though on the horizon was not one, and I, I mean not one single opportunity for me that I could see to coach or train anybody in any capacity. So I just kept doing that every day. On the weekends, I really just pretended I was already a coach. But I thought to myself, why would anybody hire me to do this shit? I'm good, and I know my shit, but my credentials and profile ain't better than anybody. So why would somebody else, why would somebody hire me to be a coach? But see, that's just that human brain doing that human thing that it does to protect you from that feeling of failure. It says, focus on the negative. Focus on the bad things, because when you do, you won't pursue that thing you want. And when it doesn't materialize, you won't be upset or hurt. Not you human bullshit. So I was living in Up Marlboro, Maryland at the time, and I moved to Falls Church, Virginia. Um, I was working downtown at a law firm for about six, seven years, and I was training and fighting off and on during that time. And I just started to feel stuck and stagnant. And anytime I feel that way, I get fucking claustrophobic and depressed, and I just gotta fucking leave. So I just left that job, just up and quit. Not up and quit. I gave my two weeks notice. I was a good employee. And, I, and after that, I took three months to just chill and figure out what I wanted to do. I had saved up a nice piece of change. So I took three months off work, just chilled out, figured, like, what the fuck do I want to do? Um, so I got another gig in Reston, Virginia, but my hours was different. At the law firm gig, my hours was 12 to 9. So I had my mornings to kind of train a little bit, but not really because you got to get up super early and I still got to get ready for work. But the new gig, my hours was 7.30 to 4.30, so I'm home by 6.00. So I've never been one to go out and drink or whatever after work. So I get home at 6. I don't know what the fuck to do. Like, I'm going crazy. There's no boxing gyms around. I'm learning about jujitsu from watching Ultimate Fighters. This is season one at the time. So I say to myself, it's nothing around to do boxing anymore because of location. So let's see what's up with this jujitsu shit. So the school was 30 minutes away from my house. Um, I called and made a couple of appointments to check it out. And I kind of reneged on them because I'm not, like, just my personality. I'm not like a personable person that wants to be around people so especially learn meeting new people learning new things but shout out to jeremy the, the owner of the school was just so personable and inviting like it made me really feel at ease coming to check it out so i came and checked out a class and the rest is history 
So my first week of doing jujitsu, I think my first or second week, I get there early for a Saturday morning class, and I see the Thai class going on. I see the Muay Thai class going on. I think to myself, this is what the fuck I need in my life. I didn't even know the school offered this. I'm sure they told me, but I was in like jujitsu tunnel vision. So immediately, I go to the front desk and say, change my motherfucking plan. Not just my plan. Change my motherfucking plan. Is that serious? I want to be a part of this Thai class, as well as jujitsu. As well as the jiu-jitsu class. So that's what led me to MMA. So I started that Monday in the Thai class, mind you. I had never been in a class setting before as it relates to striking. Boxing gyms aren't constructed like that in the inner city. They aren't classes. It's people that come in and train. You come in with whoever you want to come in and train with. Like now because of like uh, LA boxing and now UFC gym, like the boxing classes are structured and shit like that. But in the inner city, there's no structured class. You just come in and work. It's no from this time to this time. So that was kind of weird. So it's like grab, you know, it's organized. Uh, grab a partner, grab tie pads or focus mitts and we're going to work on this today, which is a shift from boxing. But it was fun. So you grab a partner, the instructor says, and we're going to do jab cross today or whatever, for instance. And the instructor says, we're doing jab cross. Grab your focus mitts, grab your tie pads. Well, would you fucking look at that? Haven't I been holding mitts, practicing holding pads for people? Years before that, living in Up Marlboro. I think I mentioned that earlier. This is what I've been practicing for. So obviously, some students are better at holding pads than others. But my first day coming in, I've been practicing holding pads. When nobody was around, before I knew this school existed, before I knew I would even be here. I was in my basement, shadowing, pad holding. So now how am I going to look when I hold these pads for somebody? I've been practicing with my little brother. Waiting for the day that this day will come. And the day always comes because life always circles the block. You get what you fucking pay for. So my first day, I'm giving tips. But you got to know your surroundings. You can't come into a situation that's not yours and go full fucking Greg Jackson. Got to have self-awareness. And I've always had that for the most part. So I'm not telling anybody anything super extravagant. Because I don't know how to come across. So I just offer, hey, that right hand that you landing is powerful. But you can make it even more powerful if you really dig your foot into the ground and put your hip into it. That's it. That's all I'm giving you. A little thing like that makes a big difference. But at the same time, doesn't make me look like the fucking new guy who thinks he knows everything. So I'm not trying to give a ton of advice on the first day. And by the way, I'm totally for that. If someone comes into a class the first day and they got previous experience, please, by all means, tell me something. Tell me what you know, please. Because I want to know everything. But as we stated earlier, some people's egos won't let them accept that advice from the quote-unquote new guy. That's why I encourage everybody to do jiu-jitsu. It strips your ego away in the sense that, you know, you all, you, in jiu-jitsu, you're always almost getting killed. So you can realize your place in life. I kind of like that. I had to tap today to stop my partner from killing me. That puts your actions in perspective and your place in life in some perspective, especially as it comes to combat sports. Even before jiu-jitsu, I was void of big ego. I was always a humble person, but jiu-jitsu, but jiu-jitsu even humbled me even more. So I encourage everybody to partake in that as it relates to a class. But as it relates to the striking, I wasn't sure if people had big egos or not. So I just played it cool, and I would hold pads and hit pads. And like I said before, humans know things. They can see it. So after a while, without me saying anything, people come up and be like, Hey, bro, you used to box? You kind of sharp on them pads. Well, now that you mention it, I actually did use the box. And now we have a dialogue where I can let my actions dictate why you might think my advice is valid. So from holding pads in the class, now it's open gym time. Bro, you mind holding for me? Of course not. 
I've been holding past for fucking ghosts and shadows in my basements for years before this. Let's work. I got a combination I've been practicing for a long time I think might work really well with you. So that's building. As I knew it would, because I put in the work for it for years before. So now, the local MMA scene is starting to grow a little bit. We got MMA fighters in the gym, and one of them comes to me and says, Roland, we spar all the time, the work is great. You hold pass for me, the work is great. I'm getting a lot, I'm getting a lot out of it. Can you be my striking coach? Music to my fucking ears. Years in the making. I've been heard this even before anybody said it. Universe shit. Roland, can you be my striking coach? Can you be my striking coach? You sign up at any gym, or I should say you sign up at most gyms, and you get a striking coach. Why is that? I should have to prove to you why I deserve to be your striking coach. That's something that is earned. It's like respect. Me being your striking coach is something that is earned. So I don't want you to just sign up and go, hey, this is when you sign up here, this is your striking coach, so have at it. Fuck that. I want you to spar with me, and then you determine why I should be your striking coach. So after the sparring session, I want you to go, fuck, that dude knows some shit that I need to learn. I, he, I, need, I need him to be my striking coach. Or I'm a whole pass for you, and then go, fuck, that dude knows some shit. I need him to be my striking coach. Not just signing up and now I'm your striking coach. That is earned. From day one, I've always earned that. Never went to somebody and said, I'm your I'm your coach. Because you come here, I'm the trainer here, so I'm your coach. Fuck that. Let's work together and hopefully I can earn that from you. That is something that is earned. Not just given. You earn that respect of being a coach. Of somebody saying, hey, I trust you to come into this and to go down this road with me. So that's really important. So shout out to Taylor. Salute. The first person who asked me to be that striking coach. And then from then, um, other fighters uh, follow suit. But something I've always took very, very seriously. I mean, shout out to all the coaches. Um, like putting in that work to make the, uh, you know, to make these fighters great. Uh, it's very, it's really underappreciated. Because, you know, the fighters always get all the credit. Especially on the big stage. Like in, in the, I'm sorry, in the big stage, like coaches can get credit. You see UFC, like you had a Greg Jackson or Freddie Roach or all these other trainers. But like on an amateur level, it's a lot of great coaches. But the fighters aren't big names, so the coaches don't get praised. So I'm going to give a shout out to all those coaches and trainers and pad holders and, and, and you know, people who uh, run a tight ship, making sure they're keeping their fighters at peak performance and making sure their fighters are good to go. So that's that. So, fighters and trainers is really, really, really important. So, thanks everybody for taking the time. Again, you can find download these on iTunes now. Um, I also got a web series called Wrong Out Loud. It's not sports related. It's more like like social stuff, but it's still fun and entertaining. Uh, nothing too crazy. So, I'm gonna put it on my YouTube page too. So, check out my YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, um, all that stuff. I hope you were entertained. Um, Again, recommend recommend these to your friends if you like. Like, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. I really, really uh, like doing these because I like the feedback that I get. And as long as one person is saying, I felt that, then that's good enough for me. So thanks, everybody, for taking the time. I love you guys. And as always, keep your chin tucked, pivot on your hook, and bet you it's impregnable.